Hello, and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. And today, it's like the trifecta, guys. We are going to talk about a board of director member, sustainability, and some technical stuff about energy and electricity. So it's like, hooray. And the person that can do all of those things is Neil Wasabada, founder and CEO of Overdrive Energy Solutions. He is a member of the board of directors of the ESA, and he's been a member of the ESA since way back in 2013, which in my head isn't that long ago, but then I do some math and it really is a, a while. So Neil, thanks for being on the pod today. Thanks for having me here, Danielle. And I'm going to uh, add the fourth thing to our trifecta. The fourth oh. leg of our school <laughs> is event safety because one of the things that I, I'd love to talk about today is the intersection of sustainability and safety. Absolutely. So let's start at the beginning. What is your background? I'm just a kid from Wisconsin. Okay, after that. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I often ask myself, how did I get here? Um, I started working with hybrid electric vehicles in 1993 while still in college. And I worked on uh, several research projects with the U.S. Department of Energy, Ford, Chrysler, and GM. After that, after I graduated, I so moved like, out to So, as an engineer? As an as engineer, an engineer. Yes. Yeah. And then um, in 2000, I moved out to Southern California to work in motorsports. I, uh, it, when you're doing hybrid electric vehicles and electric vehicles, you do a lot of work with how computers control and make these systems a gasoline engine and an electric motor run together and um, that led to a career in doing electronic control systems for vehicles and motorsports and also in research and development um, so in 2003 i started my own company called apex speed technology and we quickly not only got involved in all sorts of racing but also it was around the, the early rise of electric vehicle companies. So um, started providing equipment to Tesla, um, worked with a company called Mission Motors, which was one of the first real um, demonstrators of uh, electric race bikes, uh, worked with electric dirt bike companies. And then I ended up working with the U.S. Department of Energy on some of their technology demonstrator competition projects, providing equipment to them. So okay. that was where the technical side came from. So, so, so I hear a hint of this, but how did you get from that to live events? Well, first of all, you know, as I became more and more involved at a management level in motorsports, you invariably get involved with the event production side. There's a lot of logistics involved, you know, just moving. We're, we're a traveling circus, no different than a tour. Um, we're touring festivals in essence. Um, in 2012, I was asked to help build a company called EPS's North American Division. EPS was a European provider of side equipment for festivals and uh, concert tours and all sorts of live events. And it just so happened I had a friend who was, uh, who was running the operation at a time. And um, next thing you know, I was involved in live events production, uh, providing barricade flooring and other things to um, events uh, all over the uh, country. All right. So 
you've you've got the background in engineering. You you get into the logistics of production. I see the synergy there. I work with race cars and rock and roll. My daily nightmare is my <laughs> 15-year-old dream. <laughs> I'm a very fortunate person. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's two seemingly separate worlds. But you know, um, when I was in motorsports, I was dealing with a lot of logistics and a lot of personnel, and that was that were two of the things that they needed the most. So um, picking up the rest of it, uh, well. You know, motorsports is a fast-changing environment. Live events is a fast-changing environment. So yeah. it wasn't as big of a stretch as I, I even I thought it would initially be. All right. So how did you, you know, where did the, the, the light bulb go off that you wanted to also get into event safety? Before, before I even started, really. Um, because safety culture is paramount to motorsports. Absolutely key, right? We're putting our athletes our artists our stars we're putting the people that have the most visibility in our organization in a um situation that has a lot of dangers to it risk mitigation and management is paramount um not just for the people who are racing but for the crews and for the fans and spectators this is something you think about all the time on a deep level when i was asked to build eps america's north american division you know they were involved directly in safety. Two of the biggest products were stage barricade um, and then ground protection, egress, uh, entry paths, you know, um, and uh, making sure that people and artists were both safe. Uh, there's also the whole thing about the crews. You know, people may not think about that up front, but in motorsports, your crews are exposed to a lot of risks, um, not just during the race, but we're dealing with tools and we're dealing with things like exhaustion, you know, people flying around and having to set up and work outside all day. Um, so, you know, these were all things that were already sort of baked into what I was doing. And um, I really appreciated the opportunity to also bring more of my engineering background to the field. So when I heard about ESA, which was just forming then, I was That was my next question. Involved. It was like, how, how did you come across the ESA? Um, I was, providing barricade to events and it was probably Jim Digby and Charlie Hernandez who approached me and asked me if I wanted to come speak about barricade. Um, so I did at, I don't know if it was the first, I, maybe it was the first event safety summit. It was at Tate. Uh, you yeah. know, if I remember right, it was like in their lunchroom. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I, uh, I went and shared what I knew about barricade and, uh, Went on from there. That's fantastic. So in the last year, you've joined the board of directors. Uh, what what led you to to and frankly, I'm delighted. And but what led you to make that decision? Steve Lemon reached out to me first, and you know, um, I had one of our founding directors. Yes, and I've been speaking with him for a long time over the pandemic about um, things moving forward after the pandemic, the live events business, the business I was thinking of starting. And uh, when he made the suggestion, I, I really, uh, you know, I wasn't sure if I had the background. I mean, I still have imposter syndrome. I did not spend my twenties pushing road cases up ramps. 
you know, I uh, got involved in the live events industry. I think I was 36 when I did. Um, but, you know, I went and first of all, my business partner, Boxer, is also a board member. So many of my friends now and professional colleagues just off the top of my head, you know, professionally, I uh, during the pandemic, the beginning of the pandemic, I had uh, started working with one of our board members, Kurt Milner, um, Tammy from South by Southwest, Charlie Hernandez, Stuart Ross, all these names I'm throwing out are people who are either clients, customers, advisors, uh, and all people who I respect quite a bit, both intellectually and for their work ethic. And the opportunity to, you know, be working with this group, I felt was, uh, uh, was very compelling. So, all right, we've, we've talked about ESA and how you got into live events and, and all of that. Let's, let's, let's geek out a little bit now. We're going to talk about power and, and we're going to, you know, we're going to put our production hats on. So when we're at different job sites, so, you know, in your background, it's mostly uh, the auto sports, but you've done a lot of other things too. So where does power come from? Well, so in general, there's really just two sources. There's the grid, which is you plug it into your wall and it magically appears. Yep. Um, the grid can be fueled by, you know, so many different sources and, and you've heard them all. Um, and then there's generators. Now, generators can be part of a grid. In fact, they often are. Um, but the big difference is that uh, when you're dealing with a generator, specifically a gasoline or diesel or biodiesel or propane, but fossil fuel, or I should say combustion fuel generator, uh, it forms its own smaller local grid. You know, it's not often connected to the larger world. It handles the local event area. Um, so that's where it comes from. Um, there are different, um, different types, different sizes for different needs. Let's talk about generators specifically, because I think that's most relevant to our live event world. Uh, I will well, touch on So actually, if you're in a built venue, you're, you're operating off the grid, but there are plenty of times, even in a built venue where you're also bringing in a generator, especially if you're doing something that's uh, very high profile, where they want you to be able to switch if the power goes out and the TV broadcast for your political debate needs to stay up. But anyway, so go on. Let's talk about generators because I think that's um, where where we're ending up today. Yeah, and and you know I, I want to say I want to talk about generators independent of whether they are uh, they are supplementing a grid, they're standalone, or they there's even applications that are called grid connected. Uh, but the big difference and the reason why I think I start there with safety is that we're putting explosive stuff into them, which is fuel, and they are outputting things that are unhealthy for us, which is exhaust. Um, so that's where they become very relevant to our discussion in event safety. Now, the larger generators we have uh, put out 480 volts. Um, and it's uh, 480 volts, what's called three phase. Without getting into technical details, um, it, hap it's, it just so happens that transmitting electricity is more efficient when you're at higher voltages. And natively, when you're generating electricity with a generator, um, it 
it comes out in what's called three phase, which is a form of electricity that historically uh, goes back to running electric motors. Um, now we can uh, um, we can convert all of that to what we need. And what we need these days by and large is what's called a 120 volt single phase. Um, now, Which in essence, is what's your what's at your house. That is exactly what's at your house. That's what's in the outlets at your house. There's a few notable exceptions. There are some chain motors, some large industrial building size air conditioning units, um, My electric car chargers. Yep, um, and and things like that. Well, what's interesting about dimmer racks, though, is that they're not necessarily natively three phase. So the 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 lights themselves are often still 120 volts. But I mentioned this thing called three phase and without getting too technical, it's a consequence of how we generate power. And it's very easy to split three phases of electricity coming down one wire or actually five wires. Now I'm gonna get lost <laughs> in the weeds. But anyway, it's very easy to split that into single phases of 120. So if you have, think of it this way, you have one outlet that's putting out three phase electricity that one outlet can be split into three outlets, okay. each 120 volts. And the reason why your dimmer rack is like that, the reason so many things are like that is because they are designed to work with these three-phase generators. So you have this big generator and it's putting out this power and it goes yep. to your dimmer rack and then it gets split again into these 120s. And to make it even more interesting is that when you have these big generators, that are 480 volts, there's also 277 volts and there's 208 and there's all these other voltages, but the big ones, they first have to get stepped down to a lower voltage before they get split. So right. between a big generator, you know, the kind of thing that you'd see backstage at a big festival or something like that, and the outlet that you're powering a single LED fixture on, there's mm -hmm. going to be a transformer that's kicking down the voltage. And then there's gonna be something called distribution. You know these, they're, they, we call lunch boxes and pagoda boxes and things like that. And yep. that's what turns a three phase into, um, into single phase. Now, forget all that techni technicality for a second and just understand one thing. Between your generator and the thing that's using your power, there are at least two electrical devices. A transformer that's dealing with large voltages and a splitter of some sort, a distribution of some sort, which is what your dimmer rack is, which is splitting that into the individual phases for power. So that's okay. where, that, that's where, you know, that's where it comes from. And uh, those are the different types right now to get your device running. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw out one other thing, uh, which is that not everything works on AC current, alternating current, which is, the paradigm for many years, just in, in, in short, alternating current also uh, is uh, uh, well suited to running electric motors and it, um, uh, it's well suited for power transmission. But these days, most of our devices work on direct current, DC, and anything that you have that has a power brick associated with it, whether it is the little charger for your, uh, for your mobile phone that goes directly to the wall, or whether it's a large brick for a laptop, that's converting this alternating current into the direct current that powers the device in the end. And one other thing, batteries natively put out that direct current. 
So when you're powering anything with batteries, you do not need that power brick. So when we're, we're going to talk about batteries a little later, but when we um, talk about types of electricity and equipment needs, now we have four devices in the chain. We have a generator. We have a transformer that kicks it from big AC to littler AC. We have distro, which kicks it from three phase to single phase. And now we have a transformer or a, uh, a power brick or, you know, uh, that, that, that takes it from that DC, I'm sorry, that AC to the DC that your device is actually running. That's the best I've ever heard that explained. Thank you. <laughs> like, I feel like I understand it better. All right. So we've got these big generators. We've got smaller ones. We've figured out how the power gets from one place to another. What are the, like, there's other considerations with generators. First of all, you need to be qualified and competent to operate a generator. So note to uh, podcast listeners, uh, if you are not qualified and competent to operate a generator, this is where you phone a friend and get an electrician on your call. So, sorry, side quest there. Uh, back to you, Neil. W what's the next thing we need to think about? Well, let's start right there, okay? okay. Um, you said you need a qualified person to run the generator. Is it that tricky to start an engine? No, not really. No. Is there a lot of settings on the generator, dials and switches and stuff that you have to move around? You run generators? Not really. Why do you need to be, and you absolutely need to be <laughs> uh, someone who's certified and skilled to run a generator. It's those four things we talked about. It's not the generator. It's all that distribution. You are laying and connecting very high voltage wires, cables that can kill you, okay? And your patrons. You are dealing with pieces of equipment that need to be inspected, make sure that they're in proper working order because when they're not, they can again cause serious bodily damage. They can start fire. There are all these dangers. But realize that those dangers are actually as inherent in everything that the generator connects to and everything that goes between the generator and the thing that's actually using the electricity as it is the generator itself. So just keep that in mind when we talk about the fact that generators need an operator, need somebody who really knows what they're doing. It's not just the box. It's everything that goes into using the power that comes from that box. It, it's now, all that knowledge. <laughs> it's all that knowledge. Um, and then of course, you know, there's the obvious thing. There's fuel. Um, we are, we have to deal with fuel distribution. We have to deal with fuel spills. Um, we live in a world that is so used to dealing with liquid fuels i'm gonna you know simplify it by saying diesel and gas but there's you know there's other things that you use out there and gas feels like propane um that we don't often give it a second thought um how dangerous and both from you know a a fire safety explosion risk uh and then also a health and safety thing that all these fuels are um so there's that um, so, you, so you have to well, you have to make sure you have the right fuel, enough of it stored properly, and then it has to be handled properly on site, correct? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, the good news is that we've been doing it so long, it's second nature to us. That doesn't make it any less dangerous. It just means we have a lot of practice. Um, 
Then there's also, um, you know, the output of the generator, which is exhaust and heat. So the exhaust um, with a uh, with some sorts of generators, uh, we also have a noise concern. Mm -hmm. um, but the exhaust, uh, you know, even the cleanest generators out there are still um, they still have CO2 and oftentimes uh, what's called hydrocarbons, which is unburnt fuel. Uh, and there's things that aren't as maybe directly uh, um, risky, but uh, serious uh, issues for climate. Things like CO2, I mentioned, uh, and um, uh, what's called oxides of nitrogen that causes smog. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there uh, that is bad for you in the short term and long term. So you have to manage that properly and correctly. Okay. So, you know, we have all those risks to deal with on generators. Yep. And and I know that, you know, there's typically a couple different considerations when you're searching for the right place to put your generator. I mean, if you're not building a site from scratch, where the generator goes is, is, is a conversation and you're trying to balance those things. You're trying to balance the exhaust. And where does the generator, the <laughs> where does generator typically not go? Backstage left. <laughs> it's too where, loud. <laughs> where you need the power. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is the revelation, revelation I had. So I'm going to pause this at my own little tangent. Let's talk about my background some more. Okay. Or <laughs> not my background. Let's, talk about, Let's talk about sudden unemployment, which is what we all experienced in March of 2020 when the yes. pandemic struck and all of a sudden the, uh, our, we were all on pause. Um, at the time, I uh, was speaking with some of my former colleagues from the U.S. Department of Energy. Um, you know, in the short term, it looked like consulting with the uh, vehicle control system stuff that I'd done was going to be, you know, the best way to weather the pandemic. And um, it's when I started learning about these, uh, the advances in battery technology and power technology uh, that had come about in the last decade or so. And that's when this lightning bulb came out about how these advances could bring sustainability, but also safety to the live events. And that was from the very beginning. So a lot of, I've, I've done a lot of foreshadowing here talking about distribution <laughs> and everything like that. Don't uh, worry, we'll get there. <laughs> but that's definitely, you know, um, but before we got too much further along, you know, that's really where this all started was pandemic, um, looking at automotive technology and then realizing, wait, there is an application to what you've been doing for the last dozen year, years, Neil. And that's where we are. Excellent. All right. So we're going to stick a pin in that because we're going to come back around to it. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the devices, not at the generator, but in that, that line. You know, you, you touched on the fact that there were fire risks. You're talking about like batteries and power bricks, right? No, I'm actually, let's, let's stick with generators just for a okay. second. Sure. Okay. I mean, the simple fact is that um, when there are issues with wiring, um, things can get hot very fast, obviously sparks and things like that. So uh, poorly maintained or um, damaged generator equipment 
is a fire hazard. It's a serious mm-hmm. fire hazard. I don't, I, I don't think anyone doubts, you know, or electrical fires are a real danger. And that exists independent of batteries or not. And it, and it exists in that, in that path that I spoke of from the generator to the device that you're going to be using, the power bricks and the transformers and the distro. So there's fire risks there. Um, but what about batteries? I mean, we all know about laptops and the mm-hmm. cell phones catching fire. And uh, I mean, all those electric cars that are catching fire. Oh, wait a minute. So <laughs> wait a minute. These the, the, I haven't the seen those news stories. <laughs> these are some of the things that I, even as an engineer in this field, and by the way, you know, I haven't said this. I don't think I've said this in any of the conversations that I've had about this. Um, I was involved in a project where we had a major battery fire in 2000. No, no, 1997. 19, we had a battery pack on electric vehicle catch fire. Um, and this was using old uh, metal. What was it called? I, I forgot even the technology. It was even before lithium. Um, nickel metal hydride. Um, so I had been exposed to the firsthand dangers of, uh, of electrical fire from batteries. And when I went to start talking to my colleagues from the U.S. Department of Energy, um, I learned something very surprising. I learned that a lot of the dangers, a lot of the things that we've heard from batteries um, have been mitigated substantially in the last decade. Um, That's good to know. So let's talk about, I want to talk about fire risk and batteries uh, real quickly. Um, So, you know, batteries, uh, the the newest, all the newest technologies uh, tend to work with lithium, which is, uh, uh, which can catch fire when exposed to oxygen. Um, And there's another big danger in battery packs, which is when they start to fail, they can start basically self-destructing where they generate a lot of heat, explosions, fire, things like that. Um, This was the case with cell phone batteries and laptop batteries and things like that. Um, But as new chemistries came online, um, uh, that started to change. And the chemistry that um, we're centered around and a lot of the stationary power world is centered around is something called lithium iron phosphate. Um, It's actually... um, it's quite impressive, and you know, I actually, you know, I uh, I encourage people to Google it all the time because it's surprising to me at the very beginning how many of the things that we hear all the time, the negatives about batteries, have been very, very much mitigated with these technologies. And this is a very common technology these days. All of the standard range Teslas since I believe 2019 use this technology, um, and so uh, the most common battery technology. Uh, is does not have an explosion risk, does not have serious fire risks. You know, uh, it doesn't have any toxic metals. So we'd hear these things about um, about dangerous uh, uh, things like cobalt and cesium and things like that in batteries. It doesn't exist in these lithium iron phosphate batteries. And they're also, they're generally um, 100% recyclable. But the thing that blew me away that I had no idea uh, was the case is this thing called cycle life. So one thing about batteries is that they always let us down. You know, since <laughs> since since that first cordless phone we had, right? 
Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> grandma would forget to put it on a charger and that was it, you know, all the way to all of the phones and laptops and things like that, that were perfectly usable, but we stopped using because the batteries, uh, you know, got worse. Um, this has been a problem. And then, and then these technologies started coming out, a lot of it driven by electric vehicles and things like that, uh, which really changed the game on that. These lithium iron phosphate batteries um, in very, very high utilization cases. So they're being completely charged and discharged daily. Um, you know, they're rated for 15, 20 years of service. Wow. Um, and even at the end of that service life, they haven't died per se. They're just starting to not have the capacity that they used to. So they could be used for other things. So um, there are risks from batteries for sure. But my point here is that a lot of the ones that we hear about um, are legacy risks from older technologies. And then the last thing I'll say, you know, with my little quip about electric cars, um, it's been found that electric vehicles um, are involved in significantly, and I, I don't have the numbers, but I, I have a feeling it's like an order of magnitude, like tenfold, uh, fewer fires than traditional internal combustion engines. <laughs> Turns out gasoline is kind of nasty stuff. <laughs> okay. So this seems like the perfect place for us to go to our th third and a half uh, leg of our stool, um, where we're going to talk about sustainability. And probably, guys, you figured out we're going to talk about sustainability and electricity. Uh, there are plenty, there are so many things with sustainability, but this is where we're mostly going to hone in. Um, so, Neil, tell us a little bit about what overdrive does and how that addresses sustainability in electricity. So what overdrive is doing is we're designing quick deploying, ruggedized battery power stations and microgrid technology that allows us to easily bring um, sustainable energy technology and clean, quiet emissions free technology to events and festivals. I mean okay. events and, and concerts. So we're going to unpack that ruggedized. What what does that mean? So, you know, I told you these things, these batteries have a 15 year service life, 20 year yeah. service life. Um, we want them to last that long. So we build things that are hard to break. Um, okay. And, you know, what we're doing is not this exists. Uh, the, the interesting part is it exists at both ends of the, of, of the scale. You can go to Amazon right now and buy a battery generator. A lot of, they're getting very, very uh, um, popular in camping and things mm -hmm. like that. You can, uh, there's uh, brand names like Goal Zero, Jackery, Bluetti, um, people like that that make them. Um, but they're not ruggedized. Take a look at any of these things and you would not want it dropping, you know, falling off the tailgate of a truck. Um, they tend to be small. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're meant for personal use, um, at the, at, at the utility scale, our big companies, partners, like, uh, you know, uh, the Agrecos of the world, um, they have these really large battery packs that are, you know, um, sometimes shipping container size or larger. Okay. Um, and they're specifically supplementing generators with those. I'll get to that in a second. Um, the, I, I believe some of you being used standalone. But my point is that when we said ruggedized, easily deployed, we looked at the market and, and saw two things. One is that there is a size class. It just turns out, well, well, let me tell you what the light bulb moment was. 
is that when I realized that I can build a battery inverter system, which just means that it puts out 120 volts so you can use it with the devices you want to, that is approximately the same size and weight, same power output, and um, also the same runtime as a 3,500 watt typical Honda generator has on a tank of gas. So this, 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 this realization I had was, wait, anywhere where you're running those, you've seen those little Honda 2000i generators, they're, they're, they're in sponsorship activations and merch tables and all sorts of stuff everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. anytime we're using those smaller generators, there was, if you're not using it in a way that someone has to stop and refuel it every day, or even if you're if, if it's only being refueled at the end of the day, there is no need to be burning fossil fuels and having exhaust in that application. You can replace it directly. So that is the quick deploying ruggedized portion. Okay. okay. Um, so again, we can go out to a site, we can set it up fast and it's tough. So it will be tourable. It can go to festivals. It can last in the wind and rain and all that good stuff. Okay. That's what okay. we meant by quick. Now there's another uh, part of it. I don't think I said, I said microgrid technology, but really it's what's called distributed power. And this is the, and what does that mean? This is the key factor. This is, this is where I've been building up to talking about all of our distro. What if you could put the generator right where you needed it and it didn't have any of the exhaust and it didn't have any of the noise. What if you could put your generator in front of house or backstage left, backstage left. You know, what if you could put your (laughs) generator right under the merge table? Right. So that's the distributed power portion of it that we're doing. It allows us and that's where we really start to contribute to event safety and also cost saving, because now we're not we don't have all that transport of this heavy cable equipment and gear that we have to bring. I mean, I mean, how many pounds of copper does a does a large concert or an arena tour carry? Right. Thousands of pounds of just wire. Um, we don't have to bring you know, these dangerous devices and set them up and all that. So that's distributed power. So again, ruggedized, quick deploying, distributed. Um, now, uh, there's one more part of this, uh, and it will all lead into the sustainability, which um, uh, you can fill these, charge these any way you want, okay? so. Now, we could charge it with a generator. We can charge it with solar. We can charge it off of the power grid. But the point is we can store energy mm-hmm. and bring it to where we need it. Um, also, there's another one more point. Sorry, I forgot this <laughs> one here. Um, is that, his, you know, it's, it's kind of about physics, but when you're making electricity or energy from something that from a heat engine something that uses heat whether it is a nuclear power plant or a generator basically you know generally speaking the larger it is the more efficient it's going to be um that's why we use the you know we use these big trailer sized generators we have big plants we have all this distribution um that doesn't apply to batteries batteries tend to be very scalable so we can also not only take these small units and put them where we needed, but we can Lego things together to get the capacity we want. This is the revelation I had, and that's what Overdrive is now doing. So let's say I, I stick one of these backstage left 
what does that illuminate in my distribution chain? It just it, it it eliminates the power that comes from either the generator or even the wall um, to a distro rack, and mm -hmm. then the cable that goes from the distro rack out to the devices themselves. So, so basically, at that point, I'm just plugging stuff in like I always would have. Exactly. In fact, one of the analogies I use is we make outlets that you can put anywhere, and our gear is sized for that purpose. So um, our, you know, our most popular units right now have the exact same capacity, fusing-wise and everything, as a standard 110-volt outlet. You know, they're typically 20 amps that you have yep. anywhere. And they're sized, so if you were running them at the ragged edge, so like, you know, you got a hairdryer, a toaster, and a microwave going at the same time where you're going to be <laughs> blowing the fuse in your house or tripping the circuit breaker, at that level, they'll run for a minimum of three hours. But realistically, in a lot of the applications we're seeing, you know, they run 10 to 30 hours. Um, so now it's about dropping the outlet where you want it. Okay. And so there's another, you know, so, so we're eliminating all that stuff and then sustainability. Let me talk about sustainability for a second. Right. I was just so, about to ask. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that solar power is actually the cheapest form of energy generation right now, except for, of course, the fact that you're only making power when the sun shines, um, batteries at a utility scale, you know, when you're making a lot, a lot, a lot of batteries, they're expensive, they're heavy, you know. Um, so building, it's not that they don't exist. We have solar plants now that have battery storage. Um, and uh, actually I read, and I really need to read more about this, but I, I read that they were very effective at preventing rolling blackouts in California this summer. But um, it's, it's, uh, the bottom line is that batteries allow us to capture the solar energy, you know, and it also takes another component out of it, which is that, you know, to make enough power on solar to equal the power output of a generator, you would need a lot of solar panels in a large land area. But since, you know, there's a time factor involved here, we can charge something with solar. You know, let's say just throwing some numbers out there, if we have eight hours of sunshine during the day, we can charge something and have you know plenty of energy to run something at night for several hours. So that's how, that's one way where it really, really helps with sustainability. Now mm -hmm. we have the ability to collect power when we, you know, when we're not using it, we can also collect power while we're using it. I was just about to ask that because I'm like, all right, well, let's say that, that, you know, I need three and a half hours. I don't want to, can, can I plug the batteries in since they're now my distribution source and have it pass through? It's, am I making sense? Yes. And now <laughs> I'm going to talk about um, a few other things that tie into that and sustainability. So sustainability, um, believe it or not, we can use diesel and gasoline generators with batteries to make our, um, our, 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 our events um, cleaner, more sustainable, and more resilient. So, so these batteries can store energy. Let me tell you another little fact about generators is that these diesel generators tend to be, uh, they tend to have maximum efficiency at, you know, somewhere between 70 and 90% load. But because of the way, and I'm not gonna get too technical on this, but because of the way generators work, we typically size them 
for a third to half of what our peak load is going to be. And quite often, I might even say the majority of the time when they're on site, they're puttering along at far less than their most efficient operating point. Well, this is the same principle as a hybrid electric. What I'm going to talk about is the same principle as how a hybrid car works. And actually, we call it hybrid power generation, where we use that engine, we load it more. So we, we work it at a higher load point where it's more efficient to charge the batteries. And then we, we power everything off of the batteries. So now we have two things. We have, first of all, we have actually reduced our fuel consumption on site. Mm -hmm. Right, we're not actually, uh, you know, the generator is much more efficient. Um, we have reduced the amount of time the generator is actually running, so that noise component and everything is lower. Um, and on uh, on top of all that, we have added resiliency. We've added a bank, uh, a backup. If that generator goes down, it will continue to work on the uh, on the battery power uh, based on your current draws and everything like that. So there's some sizing involved there, but now all of a sudden that battery power station um, can be a component uh, to, to adding resiliency to our sites. And now I'm gonna take it one more step further, um, which is that all of these things can be connected and that's where the microgrid com grid comes from. So we can have solar power generation, we can have batteries, um, we can have generators and this is really what overdrive is doing differently. And this is how we're working to really change the way power is done, is that we can flow energy between all of these sources. And we're not doing it through these big bulky transformers. We're not doing it through high voltage lines um, in all places. So we're reducing some of those. Might, we might have a generator still, that's a big three phase generator in the loop here. Um, but now we have the ability to make our entire sites more resilient by basically having a battery backup, you know, everywhere we're using the power, uh, by making our generators more efficient, by being able to take solar energy and even grid power. So, you know, we have, we're, 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 it starts with this battery generator and everything we're talking about, but it really grows into this thing where we can reimagine a site or even a tour and make it more resilient, safer, and more sustainable by having these units talk to each other intelligently. And that's a so, big difference between our stuff and what, you know, what's out there right now is the, uh, is the software and the, uh, the communications between everything. So as, as we're finishing up, what would any of the, what are the safety hazards with that sort of system? What, what do you need to look out for? Well, it's the same as, uh, as, a, as a regular power grid. Um, power power can bite at, you. Power can bite you. Yeah. Um, but I would actually say, you know, it's 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 less so. Um, also, when you have all these different devices, you also have more points of safety. You know, you mm -hmm. have uh, um, you have breakers that are closer to where the power is being used and fuses and things like that. So um, safety concerns are still the same. It's power distribution. You know, it's cabling, it's wiring, everything like that. But um, there are more, you know, by nature of how the equipment is, there's just, there, there's more safety there. And there's, there's one other thing we haven't uh, spoken about, which is these power bricks. We've mentioned them, mm -hmm. but batteries are inherently DC. So what we're doing is we're converting this DC into this 110 volt alternating current to run things. The funny irony is that we're often converting AC to DC and then right back to 
I'm sorry, DC to AC and then right back to DC using a power brick. So the newest innovation is to have these battery generators that don't just pump out power like it comes from the wall, but our newest units have 12, uh, 24 and 48 volt out DC outputs. And why is that? Well, we're doing work in the film and, uh, and TV industry. And I'm sure similar devices um, are in the music business as well, where these lights are uh, oftentimes 48 and 24 volts. Um, and by being able to plug the light directly into the box without a power brick, we're more efficient. So again, we're more sustainable, but we've also added another layer of safety there because we have one less component uh, that's operating. Uh, we don't need the high voltage. You know, these DC devices are 24 versus 110 volts. Um, and and uh, so, you know, it gives us more flexibility in that way as well. That seems like a great place to, uh, to do my normal announcement stuff. So, uh, guys, ESA has a weather event coming up. So check that out on our website, eventsafetyalliance.org. If you want to send me an email, my email address, podcast, eventsafetyalliance.org. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Neil, any final words as we wrap things up? Uh, yeah, you know, when I started working on this and I had all these revelations, another revelation I had, which echoes throughout, you know, what I've seen with the ESA and what I've seen in motorsports is it really is uh, as much about culture and familiarity as anything else. You know, um, one thing that we do in ESA, I, I feel like, is we try to uh, we try to build a culture of safety, you know, and get people to think about it and, and incorporate programs and projects and procedures and things like that to make safety, you know, something that's a cornerstone of what we do. Uh, we look for tools that enable that and we try to bring them into our sites. Um, well, the same thing, you know, is, is out there with sustainability. And there's so many parallels, you know, from the good things like, uh, like innovative thinking and technology that's really helping drive it um, to the uh, overlaps, which I've been talking about in safety and, uh, and sustainability. And also some of the darker things, you know, misinformation, old knowledge, uh, entrenched practices, you know, um, things like that. So the last takeaway I'd say is besides anything technical I've spoken to and opportunities and all the rest of it, remember that this is a culture. And as we get people more comfortable and as people learn more, and and uh, and see the benefits. They become part of that sustainability culture, which is really what we do well in the live events business. Is we build culture, and uh, I think this is a great, great place to be um, working on the things that are going to have uh, a long-lasting impact on our world and climate change. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, I haven't done this in a while. Thank you, Jacob, for all the editing it takes to, to get these from, from the rough diamond to the polished gem that you guys hear. Um, stay safe, everyone.